Well, amen, and you can have a seat this morning. Many years ago, I had the privilege of leading musical worship at a church, and following rehearsal one evening, uh, one of my really good friends and a member of the, of the team um, came up to me, and he expressed that he was uncomfortable, in fact, scandalized by one of the songs that we were going to sing. Scandalized. It was the old hymn, I Stand Amazed. And the first stanza goes like this, I stand amazed in the presence of Jesus the Nazarene and wonder how he could love me, a sinner, condemned, unclean. My friend asked, why would we spend any time at all considering ourselves as sinners condemned unclean? Why would we not simply accentuate the message of grace and substitution and faith and forgiveness and peace and hope? What's the virtue, he asked, in confessing that we were sinners condemned unclean? It's a really good question. Really good. I mean, maybe... You're asking yourself during Lent, why are we spending time thinking about this? Why are we spending time self-examining before God and denying ourselves and recognizing our own sin and coming to the cross to confess it? Why? What's the virtue? Theologian John Douglas Hall champions the consideration of sin and suffering as what truly makes us Christians. It is, it is the consideration. It is the spending time considering ourselves as sinners condemned unclean that makes us Christians. The basic difference between religion and the Christian faith, he says, is the propensity of religions to avoid sin and suffering. To have light without darkness, vision without trust and risk, hope without ongoing dialogue with despair. In short, Holy Week without Lent, Easter without Good Friday. Only Christianity invites humanity to consider our desperate state under the gravity, pervasiveness, and devastation of sin. Christianity is the only religion in the world that offers a savior as the remedy for these things. Without a proper consideration of sin, our condition apart from Christ, we can never fully recognize the power of grace and mercy. We will never join God the Father in offering compassion and love to others who are suffering under the same bondage of sin. This is the virtue of considering ourselves before Jesus as sinners condemned unclean. In today's gospel passage, Jesus is exhorting us to consider our state just as that, as sinners condemned unclean. He is encouraging us to fully enter into his gracious and merciful invitation to feast on his compassion. 
And he is inviting us to join him in welcoming others to this great banquet. This is the story of the prodigal son. At the beginning of chapter 15, the Pharisees ask, well, they don't actually ask. They're actually uh, complaining out loud to Jesus. There's no question. They're, they're, they're frustrated. They're frustrated because Jesus is at the table with sinners and tax collectors. He's eating with people that should be considered unclean, untouchable, ungatherable. Why are you with these people? And they start to grumble, our Bibles say. Uh, Let me explain what grumbling is because I know none of us in here ever do it. (laughs) Oh, I see we're familiar with it. They begin to to grumble. And so Jesus then offers an answer to the grumbling. Even though they don't ask a question... And probably they didn't really want an answer, to be very honest with you. Grumbling, by the way, question's good. Grumbling, not good. We don't really want to know the truth. But Jesus is good and compassionate and kind, and so he offers them an answer even though they're grumbling and didn't ask a question. Did you hear me say this? Jesus is good and compassionate and kind to not leave them in their state of grumbling. He's good and compassionate and kind to not leave us in our state of grumbling. Amen? And so he gives them three parables. We'll only look at the last one, but the first one is the lost sheep. And then the second is the lost coin. And the third is the lost son. What we know is the prodigal son. Probably better titled the lost son. Here's what happens. You know the story well. The prodigal son one day comes to his father and says, you're dead to me. Make no mistake By asking for his inheritance, he has told the father, you are dead to me. I'm acting as if you've died and been put in the grave. I want my money. Really, really not cute. Sometimes we read the prodigal son and think, oh, he's not so bad. Oh, he's really bad. He's a sinner condemned unclean. And so then he takes his money and he squanders, and he goes far away. Like he gets as far away from his dad's house as he can, the scripture tells us. Like like the, the term there, far away, is so far away that it's not really measurable. There's not like a distance. Like, like the writer Luke is saying, like he went as far as he could away from his father. Like you're dead to me and I'm running as far away as I can get. But the prodigal son is so bad in this moment that the news travels all the way back to his father's house. The news of his sin travels all the way back to his father's house. Later in the story, the the prodigal brother, who we'll talk about later, says to his dad, he was off squandering the money on prostitutes. So bad was his behavior that word reached back to the father. This is not a cute story. It is a desperate story. Desperate. prodigal son does come to his senses through a series of events that includes a regional famine, indentured servitude, homelessness, and starvation. 
He realizes, to use the words of the hymn, that he is a sinner condemned unclean. The prodigal son experiences the grace of desperation. When I pray for prodigal sons, including my own, I find myself conflicted. Because what I want to pray is protect him, God. Don't let anything happen. But what I really am encouraged to pray is that prodigal sons will come to the place of graceful desperation. It scares me to pray that way. When I read the prodigal son, I I know what rock bottom looks like. But I also know that the grace of desperation is an absolute gift to the prodigal son and his parents. Yeah, let's take a minute. Just where you are. As I look around the room, there are many of us praying for prodigal sons and daughters. If you're not, would you join those of us who are? And just for, just for 30 seconds, quietly, could we just pray for the grace of desperation as God sees fit? Let's do that together. Amen. For everyone in the room, I'll just say that on behalf of Tamara and myself, those of you who have adult children, whether they're close or they're prodigals, Tamara and I have, we have a burden, a heaviness to pray with you for your kids. I just want you to know that. We love you. We love them. Even many of them we don't know. We pray for you. And often we find ourselves with our hands gripped on the chair in front of us, praying for the grace of desperation. I often add, because I'm a weak man, as gently as you can do it, God. But it is the grace of desperation that drives sinners to our knees. And it is the confession of the desperate that rises them up to run home to the Father. I love this Bible, the Jesus Storybook Bible. Any of you who have, well, you know what, anybody, actually, I read this every week as part of my sermon prep, the Jesus Storybook Bible, because I love the way they put some things here, and this is no different. I'm going to read you a little portion. Everybody gather around. Here's the picture. It's a pig, if you can't see it. And here's what, in his desperate state, the prodigal son says, my father is rich, and here I am in a pigsty eating piggy food. He wipes his mouth and dusts himself off and says, I'm going home. And as he starts for home, 
though, he begins to worry. Dad won't love me anymore. I've been too bad. He won't want me for his son. All this time, what he doesn't know is that day after day, his dad has been standing on his porch, straining his eyes, looking into the distance, waiting for his son to come home. He just can't stop loving him. He longs for the sound of his boy's voice. He can't be happy until he gets him back. Through the grace of desperation, the prodigal runs home and the father responds with the mercy of compassion. Maybe that didn't hit you. I'm going to say it again. Through the grace of desperation, the son runs home and the father responds with the mercy of compassion. Compassion is the word that comes right out of the text. He actually feels pity and sympathy for what the boy's been through and responds with the mercy of compassion. The prodigal son has a whole plan. He go, by the way, he gets it. He gets that he can't ask his dad to live back in the house. He gets what happened. He gets that he said, you're dead to me. Like, you're not my dad. I'm not your son. He gets that. That's not what he's going to ask for. He's going to ask if he can be a servant. Can I just work in the barn? I mean, you, you, you treat your servants really well, and I've been eating with the pigs, right? It's, here's the picture. You've got to have the picture of the father running off the porch, hugging his son and kissing. Like, it's like, like it's this kind of kissing, right? While the son is trying to say, hey, I know what I did. I was, the son's trying to get out of confession. And the father's like, you're here. That's an, right? Like, this is what's happening. The son's trying to cut a deal. And the father's saying, I heard how bad it was. I know where the money went. And then the father does something remarkable. He robes the son in a cloak of purple, a kingly garment. He kills the most valuable possession he has, the fatted calf, the picture of Jesus, by the way. And he throws a feast, and he sits the son in the place of honor at his right hand. The grace of desperation was meant with the mercy of compassion by the Father. But this causes a problem with the older brother. The older brother is so angry at the father's love for the prodigal son that he refuses to come into the feast. He stands on the porch, which is where the prodigal son, his younger brother, was hoping he'd be allowed to stay. And he stands on the porch... And he's angry. And I want to be really clear what he's angry about. He is angry that his younger brother is going to get part of his cash. Make no mistake, that's the problem here. If you bring him back as your son, he's going to take my money. He's going to take what I deserve. Oh, wait. Here's the thing about mercy. 
Mercy is never and can never be deserved. That's what makes it mercy. The older brother saying, I deserve your mercy. I demand your mercy. And I frankly don't care if my brother gets thrown back to eat with the pigs as long as I get mine. Now, I want to say something. I've been saying this all along. This is not a cute story. The older brother, this is nasty. This is gross, what he's saying. No, this dude's dead to me. I'm glad he's dead. I'm glad he was gone. What in the world are you doing? I want mine. It's gross. There's nothing cute about this parable, by the way. Nothing. The love is dramatic because the sin is gross. Both by the prodigal son and his brother. But Jesus. Many times these exchanges with the Pharisees, this grumbling, is met with judgment. Jesus, and by the way, rightfully so. Jesus has a warning. He has a woe. <laughs> Don't do that. Not this one. This one is met with exhortation. The father, your Bibles may say, entreats the older brother to come to the feast. The word should be exhort, actually. I'm not sure why we don't translate it exhort. It's, it is the absolute beautiful picture of exhortation. You've heard me say this before. It's your mom when you were like older and went back to her house and she says, hey, can, can, are you hungry? Can I make you something to eat? And you would say, no, 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 mom, I'm full. I don't need anything to eat. And she'd say, I'll fix you something. Right? I've said this before. This is what, this is what the father's doing. Come in and eat. Come in and eat. No, I, I can't come in. I can't come. No, I want, come. I'm gonna, please come to the dinner. He doesn't judge the Pharisees. He asks them. He, 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 believe me, they know what he's saying. He says to the Pharisees, you're the older brother. And if you'll recognize that your sinners condemned unclean, you'll come to the table. I'm throwing the party for you. If you'll just be met with the grace of desperation, you will experience the mercy of my compassion. My deepest sadness for the older, older brother in this story is that he misses the party. I, I just want to be honest with you. We have, we, we, the story is left with us, you know, implying at least, if it's not explicit, that he walks off the porch angry. He misses the party. He stands with his arms folded and he, he hears the music and the revelry and chooses not to come in. The one question that we often ask ourselves at the end of these parables is which character is Jesus asking us to emulate? Who does he want us to be? Well, it's pretty obvious we're not supposed to be the older brother. Do I need to keep preaching? It's pretty obvious that we're not supposed to be the older brother. And so many of us will say, well, we're supposed to be the younger brother. Sort of, but not really. Jesus is inviting us to be the father in the story. It is true that we get there through confession and repentance by recognizing that we are sinners condemned unclean. So in that regard, we are like the younger brother a little bit, but that's not who we're supposed to emulate. 
Jesus is inviting us, whether we're the older brother or the younger brother, whether we're the prodigal or the homebound, whether we're the desperate or the greedy, to come to the feast, not so we can get fat, but so that we can welcome others to the table. We are supposed to be the Father. I am not sure how I answered my friend's concern all those years ago. I suspect in my younger days I was a little defensive. (laughs) I hope I did well. I hope I did well. I don't know, but my friends, today I'm not going to miss the opportunity (laughs) to do what I hope I did all those years ago, and that is point my friend, and that is to point my friend to the second verse of the song. He took my sins and my sorrows. He made them his very own. He bore the burden to Calvary. He suffered and died alone. So today for our 60 seconds of silence, I'm going to invite you. I am going to invite you with the question that we often ask. Who are you most like in this story? Let's be honest with ourselves today. I mean, if you resonate with the older brother... Ask God to reveal the grace of desperation and receive the mercy of compassion. If you are resonating with the prodigal son, if you feel like you're actively squandering the father's grace and mercy and inheritance, it is time to confess and repent and come back to the table. If you resonate with the father, and I hope many of us do, ask for a longing to show his compassion and mercy to others. You bow your head and close your eyes. I'll watch the time. Please stand. I'm very emotional. You're going to have to help me. I stand amazed in the presence of Jesus the Nazarene and wonder how he could love me, a sinner condemned unclean. Let's sing the second verse. He took my sin and my sorrow. He made them his very own and bore the burden to Calvary and suffered and died alone. How marvelous. And we're singing how marvelous How wonderful, and my song shall ever be. How marvelous, how wonderful is my Savior's love for me. And we know it's true in the name of the Father, and the Son, and the Holy Spirit. And all God's people said... Amen.